Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Yeah, so Amir, uh, we wanted to have you on because you know we do a lot of work in a lot of ways. You're the reason that I'm kind of here at Chapelwood through a lot of different veins, right? Like uh, I met you doing spoken word poetry. Um, I got into doing videography with Write About Now and creating media with them. That put me in contact through poetry with iconoclast artists, mm-hmm. and I met Matt, Matthew Russell. Um, and then I met Jeff and the rest of the team here at yeah. Chapelwood. <laughs> and so it was just like a sequence of events that would have never happened yeah. without you. Um, so one, mm-hmm. I really appreciate That's that. Beautiful. Um, and two, uh, yeah, like, I just want to chop it up with you about like how how you got where you are and how you continue to put people like myself in positions to take advantage of their creative talents. That's great. Yeah, thanks for having me here, Zach, and thanks for all those kind words. Um, <laughs> it is very pre- very interesting sequence of events. I agree with that. So yeah. so let's talk about it. You know. You know, when I created a nonprofit, I did with my friend Christopher Call. And uh, we thought, oh, when you're a nonprofit, people just give you money. <laughs> right. We got right. it. Now we're, it's just going <laughs> to flow down. to us yes, and we're going to yeah. Yeah, be bathing ourselves in coinage. That's right. <laughs> and How did that work out? That's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you learn, uh, you learn, you haven't even started the work, right. you know, and so I remember we got our first grant from Sam's Club. We applied for $2,500. It's <laughs> a good story. And uh, Chris, Chris calls me. He's like, hey, I, I got uh, good news and bad news. I said, all right, what's the good news? He goes, we got the grant. I was like, so through the roof, man. I was yeah. like, what's the bad news? He goes, it's for $25. <laughs> so, so You basically got a gift card <laughs> to Walmart. To Sam's. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it was, right? Wow. Exactly. So, you know, I probably said a few choice words, but then I reflect now. I was like, you know what? We applied and we won our first grant. Yeah. Let's go. And mm. so what we did was we used that money. We bought a bunch of canned food. We invited someone from the, uh, the food bank in my hometown to come out. Uh, actually, the the executive director of it, she, we used our audience to kind of inform them what they can, uh, what the food bank does. And we had a camp food drive and we gave her, we raised money and we gave, uh, we gave that, uh, her camp food that people brought to the show. So it was kind of like, um, this idea that like poets have a responsibility to give back to the community they're Mm -hmm. from. And because, um, there is no art without community. If you create the greatest masterpieces, no one's there to appreciate it. No one's there to celebrate. No one's there to have a conversation with that artwork. It serves no purpose. Mm. So we were very adamant about that. And then uh, I got tired of fundraising kind of for my own stuff. So I said, you know what? I want to throw a big festival. So we started the Texas Grand Slam Poetry Festival. And for seven years, it was the largest annual poetry festival in the state of Texas. (laughs) And uh, the way we won that grant was, I don't know if you remember this, Pepsi used to have uh, the Pepsi Refresh Project. And like what Pepsi decided was, instead of giving all of our money to a Super Bowl commercial, we're going to give it to nonprofits all across the country. Wow. And they had uh, different brackets, right? There's like a 50,000, there's like a... 20,000 to 10,000 and we went for the smallest one because we had a very small organization Mm -hmm. so you know when you're going for the 50,000 you're competing against like 5a 6a high schools with 
for their band, you know, yeah, new yeah, equipment yeah. for yeah. their band. You're not going to beat a thousand person high school. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So at the time, and when I was organizing, I was just a broke college student. <laughs> I didn't have any money. I, I had zero dollars. Uh, when Chris called, told me we had $200 in our account because we just passed a tip jar. Yeah, yeah. After a while, he's like, hey, man, we got $200. i am going to start crying. I was like, $200? <laughs> what are we going to do with all that? I was like, $200? <laughs> That's amazing, you know? And, um, and so this is what we did. So the way Pepsi had it organized was if you bought Pepsi products, you got booster points. So you got exponential points. So instead of like, people had to go vote on their website every single day. And that would be like one vote that goes toward your total. Whoever gets the most votes, gets the most points or whatever, right. they win, right? That's yeah. a game. So what we took did was we took all $200 in our account and we bought Pepsi products. But we picked the highest value Pepsi products for the points you would get. And we got like everyone. My my hand was blistered from opening Pepsi bottles. Yes. Getting the point code, twisting it back on and putting them away. Cause no one should ever drink that much Pepsi. <laughs> I I couldn't actually touch Pep I still don't drink that Pepsi is a products. Great story. So you had to take the, it was on the inside of the bottle. Inside cap. of the bottle cap. That is brilliant. I guess you can't win if you don't play. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so we, we, we did that work and it was really wow. funny cause we kept them all in one of our members houses mm -hmm. and like, I don't know what he kept his temperature at, but one night they all just started exploding and popping off and he yeah. was a former army vet. So oh. he told us he got like mad PTSD and just started <laughs> crawling through his house until he, he realized the Pepsi bottles were exploding. Oh my God. <laughs> what? I didn't hear that part of the story. And I, I told him, I said, turn your AC down, man. What are yeah, you doing? Yeah. So um, we ended up winning our bracket uh, with that. And so we used that money to host a poetry festival. And the poetry festival would sell tickets and get admissions from uh -huh. poets. And it would fund itself. It became self-sustaining. Mm. And, um, and the reason I created that poetry festival is all around the nation there are these poetry groups and they send like teams of people to like different poetry comp competitions right me personally like i told you like 200 dollars was like groundbreaking for mm -hmm. me right i couldn't actually afford to send myself anywhere you know mm -hmm. like that i didn't have that access i'm not in a city like houston where you get iconoclast you know right. or you have writers in the schools or right. you have other opportunities or like there's a collegiate unions poetry slam invitational and a lot of universities send college right. students we didn't have that we didn't oh. have like brave new voices organizations right. that wasn't a thing yeah so my thought was instead of like sending the resources we don't have outside of the city let's build it here encourage people to come here people who live here can get access to that stage without going too much out of pocket that's great and then this art serves my hometown i grew up with in which has this you know very conservative reputation mm -hmm. and we can start bringing these voices in these ideologies in and we can actually be open to having conversations with each other that's with great. each other and um <laughs> how how we would do it is, uh, so for example, if I wanted, if I want to send a team to the National Poetry Slam, that would probably cost seven grand, okay? Yeah. But way Texas Grand Slam worked was, it was available to 40 poets to compete. And 
the entry fee vary, okay? But if you were in the top 10 out of that 40, mean top 25th percentile, you got your entry fee back. And your entry fee also covered your hotel accommodations and like we would feed you during the festival. Mm. So when you were there, it was very like, it, it, it was a competition that, that, that took into account the artist and not itself. You know, and so, and then the first night of the competition was completely free because what we wanted to do was there's no money to come, come look at it. The way yeah. I look at it is like Costco, you go to Costco, you, you get the meatball sample, right? Right. And then, <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden you got, you got 20 packages of meat, meat chicken balls, meatballs yeah. in your fridge and you're like, what, Dude, what happened? What did I do? <laughs> and then, and then our finals was pay admission. Okay. So basically it was a funnel. Okay. If we can get a thousand people out to our first show, we can get hundreds of people out to our finals. That's great. And that's, that's kind of, um, that was my entryway into poetry. And the issue of poetry is, it's one of those things where it's very hard to find a career in. Yeah, you know, I, I always say the artist's life is the hardest life. Yeah. Because while you're creating and you're trying to make a living doing it, you're also trying to create the art, right? And... And, uh, and kind of cannibalize yourself if you're not careful. That's right. right. That's right. And 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 uh, you're 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 100 right on that. And also, you make the sacrifice of a 401k. Mm -hmm. You you make the sacrifice of the safety net yeah. to pursue kind of the dream. So, um, and it's just really hard as someone who just graduated college yeah. to find a job yeah. in anything, much less like poetry or writing yeah. you know and like I think like mentally I wasn't there yet I wasn't accepting like this is what you're going to do but I had just spent all this time grant writing for a poetry nonprofit I created and I had a science background so I started working in a biochem lab okay and then I got into philanthropy through healthcare okay and that's actually what brought me to Houston is uh, one uh, my girlfriend is now my wife Carson she got a job at Deloitte Mm -hmm. in Houston, which gave me incentive to move here. And then, um, and then Houston Methodist gave me a job, my first, uh, real nine to five, you know, I worked mm -hmm. at A&M as kind of like an editorial assistant grant okay. writer, but I had like benefits at Houston Methodist, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I came to Houston and honestly, Matt, like at that point, I wanted nothing to do with poetry. I hated everything about it, mm. uh, organizing, because I felt like you give and you give and you're not like receiving, yeah. right? Yeah. So what it is, is we all have, and this is every sector, there's limited resources and they can only go so far. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, you know, I was happy to do it for my community. I don't regret anything, but it was just like looking at my bottom line. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I'm still broke. So like I got the job at Houston Methodist, but I couldn't actually afford to move to Houston. I, I didn't have first and last month rent. Right. I didn't, I didn't have like money for clothes for work, you know? Right. And I, the way I was raised is like, you don't ask your parents for nothing, you <laughs> know, like you go figure it out and, and you don't, you don't even have that conversation. So um, a friend of mine actually lived in Houston and he lived three minutes away from Houston Methodist Hospital Foundation where my job was at. Okay. So you go, and I didn't tell him my situation. I didn't really tell him. I'm a very proud person. Yeah. You know, I'm probably not going to tell someone that, especially back then. He goes, 
oh, you're moving to Houston? And you say, you know, Houston's kind of weird. Like, it's not like good neighborhood, bad neighborhood. Like a lot of places, it's like good street, bad street. Uh-huh. Like it can change in a, in a heartbeat. And also like, you want to kind of live in the city, figure out where you like before you move here. So he said, come move with me and my fiance for a month, <laughs> two months. My best friend growing up, known since elementary school. It just coincided, right? Uh-huh. And I said, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what, si- what size pants do you wear? <laughs> That's the next question. <laughs> so uh, I moved in with him for two months, and then uh, I got placed with Zach Hill, mm-hmm. uh, who ended up working my door at, at right about now, the okay. poetry group. And so uh, my friend Gibby, he was getting married at um, at Avant Garden, mm-hmm. and he told me, "Say you should do a poetry night here." I said, Gibby, I'm tired of being poor, man. You know, like I, I really don't. I'm, I, I, I want to just be career oriented. You yeah. know, I want to worry about that. I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I gave what I needed to give to the arts, and I, and I got what I needed to get out of it. Right. And he said, Well, you know, you're the best man in the wedding. At least come check out the wedding venue. So I go to the wedding venue, and it's, it's a bar, right? One of the most iconic bars in Houston, Avant Garden, and. When I'm there, he's dropping off a check to Mariana f- to book the venue. And Mariana is the owner of Avant Garden. And he goes, this is my friend Amir. He used to run one of the best poetry scenes in Bryan, Texas. And I've I'm, I'm been trying to tell him to start one in Houston. I think he should start it here. Then Mariana like, lights up. She's like, oh... I've had poetry here for 20 years. And she said, all the vampires used to come out and read their poetry is what she said. (laughs) And she said, then I closed my venue down to renovate and just nothing ever stuck here again. Hmm. And so revolution cafe, my, my venue in uh, that I would do shows at and Brian was like this outdoor indoor space run by this, like very like I'm the boss type woman, you know, who's like, got like Lebanese roots, you know, and her, her Italian roots and her, her, her parents were immigrants, you know, Mariana is Argentinian, very boss personality. And the thing about both of them is they both never cared about the bottom line of their bars. They wanted the art there. Mm. And like, I feel like a lot of venues make the mistake of how can I squeeze this art for money? Yes. You know, and it ends up dying because, you know, again, like it's it's almost like working as an artist full time. You keep pulling from the garden, but you're not planting. You're not putting love. You're not putting water. You're not putting time. You're not letting. You're not nurturing it. That's right. And it has to grow. Right. And then if you put enough into that, eventually you have an orchard. You don't really have to worry about it anymore. You know, so. uh Mariana gave, was like, I want it here. She gave me the time, day, uh, support, everything I would want it. I, I, I would want to do the venue. Mm-hmm. And the name of the bar is Avant Garden. <laughs> you know, it's like, if, they, if it's a <laughs> Vegas, it's a blinking neon sign. So I said, Mariana, I know less than five people in Houston. You know, I, it's not going to be huge to begin with but i promise you like after time it's going to have a mind of its own and it's going to be one of the greatest venues in the country because i know that if i can build that in bryan texas yeah if i can build the biggest slam poetry festival on an annual basis in bryan what can i do in a city like houston <laughs> where there's six million people yeah 
where the diversity is unlike any other place in um, maybe in, in the Planet. U.S. You yeah. know, yeah. really, really, this, this is a very, very diverse city. Yes. Can I can I ask you a question? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm gonna cut you off. You, no. You the trajectory going. Yeah. See. Um. But I do want to like ask like. Because you were successful with um, Mike Check in College Station. You were successful with um, Texas Grand Slam in College Station. Right about now, I know you're getting into it. It's incredibly successful. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but, like, what makes it that way? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a really good question. What makes it that way? You know, there are a lot of scenes all over. They do the same thing, but they haven't necessarily had, like um, – I think the the success that these other endeavors have had. Um, my in the arts sometimes, right? You want to cater to the best, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes you want to cater to like the the A names. I could never afford the A names. The A names never wanted to show up for me. Yeah. So if I'm here chasing this person or that person, saying please come out here. I'm wasting my time and their time. Right. And this isn't against them. You know, they're sure. doing their own thing. It's not a bitter thing. So my mentality was, if you come out and you're a part of this, whether it's a handful of people or hundreds of people, let's go. Yeah, grab the you mic. Know? <laughs> let's grab the mic. Let's do it. My first show at, 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 and Brian at Revolution, there were two poets. It was me and Chris Call. Yeah. And... There were six people in the whole venue, if you count the bar staff. And we literally popcorn read poems back and forth. When we ran out of poems, we just found poems we liked, and we started reading them on our phone. And that was kind of the vibe. Like, we don't, we don't care. Like, this space exists. Right. Come, come participate in it if you would like. But if you don't want to be a part of it, too, that's cool. Like, there's so many things to do in this world. But if you want to get enthusiastic about art and... and and one thing I, I felt was like, I feel like a lot of writing spaces are colonized or they're elitist. So like, so like, you know, for example, like if you want to be a poet, they'll ask you, do you have a PhD? Right. Does anyone ask Drake if he has a PhD? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, people don't ask other art right. forms. It's how they practice, how they resonate with people and how like successful they right. are. So like, and I felt like I was kept out a lot of this, these spaces because of how I write what I write about, what I look like, what my name is on paper. Now in the now in the poetry world, you kind of see like a movement toward bringing in these stories. Right. But that wasn't the case when, the beginning. when yeah, yeah, when I was uh, going through it. So like that was really my mentality is if you want to read poems, this is the space to do it. Mm. And what do poets want? They want their words to be heard. So if you bring... If you keep that mentality, you're going to have the most people there. So then you're going to have the poets coming yeah, out. Yeah. And my biggest thing, like, you know, when I was like writing and doing poetry, my inspirations were Rumi and Hafez, who are. So two good poets. Yeah. <laughs> there. Just, you just camp out there for a that, long time. That's right. Amazing huh. poets. But like, I didn't really see any contemporary poets that look like me on yeah, stage. Yeah. And what I noticed was like when I got on stage, there are a lot more Middle Eastern poets who started reading. Mm-hmm. So what that is, when you see that representation of yourself on stage, it's permission, it's permission to yep. take space in that That's area. Great. That's great. Exactly. Could, so, I, could yeah. I ask a question about two? There's a 
portion of your your strand of your um, your story that I find to be really interesting, mm-hmm. um, and it's like so you you talked about your parents and their background and like 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 many folks that have that kind of of pedigree background, their kids are really expected to choose two or three options, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of, of doctor, uh, lawyer, yeah. engineer. Yeah. Or and the lawyer is or, the cop out. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I have, I have a friend who said I had, I had four options uh, or three options. It was doctor, lawyer, or disappointment, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that was the three options he had, you yeah. know? And so, but I, but I, I listened to your story and, um, although you pursued that and I, I didn't, and it'd be interesting to hear some of the story around uh, Methodist, but you also, there was also seemed to be a deeper voice that you were following um, that, um, that didn't necessarily jive with the one that um, your parents and your culture had given to you. Right. How did you negotiate that? What, what kept you on that path? That's a great question. So actually when I graduated high or college, I took the LSAT and I scored well, but I didn't score well enough to get into a top 14. And my, my father, <laughs> I see the disappointment. coming. Yeah. Out. <laughs> top 14. And my father yeah. was like, don't be a lawyer. If you're not like a top lawyer, like he's wow. like, don't, but this is yeah. with a, this is with a, a background of math and chemistry. Right, right. And then you took the LSAT. Yes. Okay. Just want to make that connection. Like, I like being on a stage. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like the, I like the research and the analytical segments. Yes. Like I appreciate, I have respect for that. And then I really liked being on a stage and talking. So, mm. and then, uh, what I, what I had heard was, um, if you have a science background, it makes you more competitive candidate for okay. law schools as well. So it's something that I thought maybe this is a good um, combination of passion, skill, mm. you know, to be successful in life. And, and lawyers seem to have pretty good lives. Right. And so uh, my father was very much against me becoming a lawyer because I didn't I didn't have like the scores, you mm. know that he would consider like, I wasn't going to Ivy league or something like that, you know? And so he frowned against it. And then, so when I graduated college, it was the great recession. So it was like, Oh, eight, Oh nine. Okay. And everyone was going to uh, graduate Graduate school. school. Everyone. And (laughs) Forbes actually released like this article. I don't remember the exact heading, but it was like, law is like one of the worst degrees you can get right now mm. uh, based off of like your ROI, your time yeah. investment, your yeah. debt, because yeah. you owe a house. But lawyers start off, some lawyers, not all lawyers, you know, they either start off making like 50K yeah, or they're doing a lot of transcript work and documentation work or you can make the big dollars if you're from one of these elite right. places, but you're working 60 to 80 hours yeah. a week. And that never really jived with me, mm. you know? So I, that was my way of getting, uh, getting out of that direction. Mm-hmm. And so my thought was if I work this nine to five, I'm working philanthropy, I'm working for a nonprofit like that, with my like altruistic self, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That makes me feel good. Like my life has purpose. I'm helping people, you know, and, and that's kind of like, that's how I fed myself. That's how I built my 401k, you know, that's kind of how I got on my feet. But while I was able to do that, I started just hosting shows at Avant Garden and it wasn't like ever like, I'm going to pursue this for a living. 
I need to make money off the show. I knew that wasn't possible because of all my years in college or what I thought was impossible, right? And so like, it was never a thing where I necessarily wanted to go full time uh, because I also realized like, man, if I'm stable in my life, it allows me kind of the freedom of thought to give to this space and keep it purely art. Yeah, You know, there's this uh, painting of the warring peacocks and they're tearing each other's intestines out. And one symbolizes uh, money and one symbolizes art. And I think the message of the artist was trying to send from my memory is um, art and, and money need each other to survive, but they'll inevitably tear each other apart. Yeah, yeah. So um, that has been something that I've very, been very like rooted in is, mm-hmm. is just remembering that philosophy. So my, my day job gave me the opportunity to do that and then when the, uh, and then, so I just like the first show we did at Avant Garden was, uh, 45 people. And the reason it was 45 people was I hosted it on my birthday because that was my birthday party. So if you didn't come to the show, you're kind of a jerk for not coming, not to, my coming to my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> my birthday. That's right. That so that was the first show. So that got me a little bit more people, but then the audience dropped to maybe like 15, maybe 10, maybe yeah. seven there's some nights where I was the host and I was DJing from a phone, you know, it's the same thing. It's just kind of like, you know, it doesn't really matter. We're going to just do this and it's going to exist here and you can come out or you can not come out and people start hearing about it. They start vibing with it. They start coming out. And and I mean, we, the pandemic really knocked us off our feet, you know, um, we, I canceled shows for a year and a half because I felt, even though we're in an outdoor space, I felt bad like having shows when social distancing was people's only defense, like in person, you yeah. know, and that's kind of what everyone advises against. With the vaccine coming out, we started rolling our shows back because now people have a choice outside of social distancing. Right. So um, that kind of knocked us back, but that was kind of cool too, right? Is it? During the pandemic, we built a virtual membership. We have weekly writing groups now. That's great. That not only serve Houstonians, but people all over the world. We started doing virtual poetry slams where the winners are decided by popular vote on our Facebook page. Uh, Uh, I doubled our social media following. Mm. I started especially TikTok. TikTok is where it's at right now. Um, If you're a creative, uh, I can preach the gospel of TikTok all day. Um, so you know, we we doubled we doubled our 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 following on social media, and now we have like three hundred uh, plus members who pay five dollars monthly to be a part of it. And now that we have our live show coming back, it's eight dollars to end the show, but five dollars to be a member. So, and my thought is, you know, a lot of these workshops you get in the poetry world are like. sometimes thousands of dollars. Well, if you just give five bucks and you be a part of this community, you're not, you're not uh, excluded based on what you make. Right. But if we have enough people, we can create the same kind of programming without squeezing everyone that is to be involved. People like me who, you know, got ecstatic about, yeah, poor college kids. And that's kind of been my, my philosophy with it is I want, I don't ever want to have an arts organization or an event where the artists themselves can't afford to go mm. to it or be a part of it. That doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So did you go have ahead. No, go ahead. Um, 
I was just gonna say like uh like throughout the pandemic, right? This um like all the arts got lost all over the country, right? Um we couldn't show up for right about now for any type of um workshops in person, right? Mm-hmm. So you had all these like online communities come into fruition, right? Mm-hmm. But also for someone like me who's an artist, I didn't really jive with the whole online thing very well, right? So I did miss those uh meeting groups, right? Mm-hmm. And I know for me those are things that gave me life. And you mm-hmm. were saying earlier you didn't want to start right about now again. You didn't want to start a poetry thing again. What brought you back to this giving you life? Yeah, um, so for me, like, these communities are kind of like albums. So I I think, Mm -hmm. like, I was kind of, so, like, when I build the, like, Mic Check, that first one, that was an album. Mm -hmm. And I I helped give what I could to it. But no one stays on, like, the same album. No artist. They released a new album. So Texas Grand Slam was that second album. And once I felt I could give everything I could and, and that I could take from it, you know, I say, well, here, you, you take this, you do your thing. And, and I try to do it to where someone else could do it. And, and with giving stuff like that up, you, you accept that it, it might be better than you ever did it. And you accept that it might go away completely forever. And with mm-hmm. right about now, uh, why I'm still on it is it's the most diversified thing I've ever done in arts. So like one of our central components, when you ask like, what do you think makes this successful? I, uh, I probably did spoken word for like seven years, you know, slam poetry for seven mm-hmm. years before I ever got my first video out. Um, and part of like building this platform, building this stage to represent people, what I was noticing was there is great art happening all around everywhere. me, everywhere, all around me every night. No one is documenting it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and especially like when now it's cool to do. When when I was in it, it wasn't popular to to share uh, writers of color, yeah. uh, especially writers of color from the South. And if you look at like just where literary arts funding and organizations are, it's the West Coast. Yep. It's the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's Cambridge. You know, it's yeah. In the. Yeah. I don't know if that's the Midwest, but Midwest that's too. in England. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. And, you know, right. they're they're in these spaces, but you don't see they're it. They're in privileged in the, spaces. You don't see it in the yeah. the Bible Belt. So I said, well, I've been putting on stuff uh-huh. nobody wanted to look at or hear from or whatever. Let's keep rolling these dice. You know, let's keep doing it. Yeah. And so like. Part of like, part of like, you asked about communities, what makes them successful. I don't judge whether you're my friend or not, or you're in my community or not, whether you're a good poet or a bad poet. I don't care if you do poetry at all. Some of the biggest like contributors to our space have been people that really don't write poems at all. Uh, one of one person I think of is Zach Hill. Zach Hill worked the door for us five years, five years, six years, and uh, maybe read two poems in that whole time. But Mm. he showed up for the space because he cared about it. He wanted to foster it. A lot of artists, this mentality of like, you're good enough, you're not good enough, wouldn't have ever given someone like him like the space to get involved in the community. But sometimes those members, they're, so um, what, what I love about what you're talking about, too, one of the things is that the word that uh, that I've heard both of you say is community. 
that's there's so much idea about art as an individual exercise and and one of the strands that i love about your story is that even in college station there is kind of the bright lights and big city kind of feel to things and you brought that back to a to your community where it didn't have a place to have that kind of conversation and voices to be included and you created that and that it's it's not I know there's that phrase art for art's sake, but it really is people listening to each other's stories in, an, in a more intimate gathering and championing that, right? And, right. and listening to that listening. for its own value and worth. Mm-hmm. And that, it could have some dope turns in it. You know, that it might have some phrasings that light you up right. is bonus, right? right? Um, but if you can tell your story um, and have another person receive that in a way, it, th- that kind of art gets uh, across and under people's defenses. And That's I've right. seen it happen time and time again where um, I might read an article and have all these defenses put up about it or mm-hmm. something, you know, or a TV show. Mm-hmm. But in an art space, um, somehow it engages with a different part of my mind or a different part of my heart or spirit, mm. and I'm open up to that space. And so your I think, guard's a little yeah. lower. You're open to receive, yeah. and what it allows you the opportunity to do is build human connection yes. and empathy through personal narrative. So it's called slam poetry, but I think that's a misnomer. I think it's really misnomer. I think it's really slam short narrative. So like what people are sharing has poetry in it, but I think for the most part it, it is, is narrative. These are these are short narrative. Narratives. Yeah, and the thing stories. is, when you grow uh-huh. up in a conservative town like College Station, you might be closed off to certain things because that's how you were raised. Mm-hmm. But I hear mm-hmm. this person's story and their experience. I hear how this right. this thing affects this person. I hear how that and, and what, what someone like me does who listens to this week after week yeah. after week is eventually it allows you to build empathy for the person <laughs> and what they're going through. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's why it becomes centered. And I think that might even be the superpower. Yeah. And it allows people to hold conflicting ideas and feelings in their heads together. Yeah. You know, and now they got to think about, you know, what does myself believe about these two? That's right. Or opposite. That's things, right. Right. And um, that calls for a lot more nuance in the conversations yeah. that we have. Brene Brown says that it's hard to hate somebody close up. And I think what art and what you're doing and cultivating in the city of Houston is building spaces to where you're close up to people. And when you're close up, you know, you've got to, like you said, Zach, you got to let folks in. You got to hear a different language and a different story. And it opens us up. Somehow we've lost that as a culture. Yes. And somehow I think that art and what we're attempting to do in other spaces, even in this church, is trying to open up that space, not close it down. That's right. Right. And yeah. and those are the spaces that I think are the hope of um, of us as uh, as a city, as individuals, as families, as folks that um, that really care about each other. Where uh, where could we find uh, what what you're doing? Yeah, uh, the best way to find us is at W A N Poetry. Right about now, W A N Poetry, and um, just online and and yeah. So we started filming. So there's over a thousand videos we've produced now. And what's crazy is, so I'm in Bryan in a dive bar, right? This is where I get my start, six people total. And mm-hmm. like, you know, our videos have now been shared by like Chancellor Rapper, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Sansa, George Sansa Stark, uh, George Takai, Upworthy, Huffington Post, uh, Vibe Magazine. 
Um, and, and these are like Zach has a video that has over 10 million views. <laughs> this is an artist from right here in Houston. Yeah. You know, this platform helped share his work to millions of people because it exists and it serves. Right. And he doesn't have to pay a dime for that. Right. You know, he just has to show up and participate in the art form. And there ain't nobody saying you're worthy, you're not worthy, you right. know, of being heard or, or shared. Just using you as an example because no, you're right here. Great. I love it. But yeah. it, it speaks to like one of the things that that space did for me too was like when I walked into it, I had preconceived notions about the world as well, right? And those things had to get deconstructed in my own head. And I had to battle with the ways that I was like carrying around toxicity <laughs> in my own thoughts and um, ideologies, right? And had to confront that stuff. And like I think overall, I'm a better person with uh, all the different experiences and people that I've heard from Absolutely. throughout the years Absolutely. of going to open mics. Yeah. I, yeah. Man, I remember one time it's like 3 a.m. I'm at some poetry festival and everyone around me is super weird. And we're just all like <laughs> artists kicking it in a hotel room, and I just, <laughs> which is and, already a super weird image in my head. And so I keep just, going. <laughs> and I just start laughing because oh, I was no. like, I would never hang out with anybody here if it wasn't for this art form. You know, right. I, I can never see myself like being in this space, like vibing with like just really random group. Like, you Weirdos. Know, it, yeah. it might, you know, someone might be like a, a delivery driver and someone might be an MD, you know, and you're yeah. all like in yeah. the same space and yeah. like you really don't see that curated anywhere else yeah. but the the arts, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when things like that happen, <laughs> something's happening in that yeah, space. When people that shouldn't meet yeah. come together and somehow figure out this kind of this kind of way of being together that kind of transcends boundaries and, like you were saying, ideologies or whatever the things we construct to to presuppose that we know another person, right? And what city ourselves. you're from, what you right. look like, how what tall you, you are, what you do. Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff goes away. It, yeah, yeah. It gets deconstructed. Yeah. And you're just like people in a sense who enjoy like it's participating beautiful. in a similar space. And also just like the diversity of talent, right? Not everyone is the best. Mm. So a lot of art gets filtered like that, right? Yeah. So you only associate with the best. Well, for me, it's like the way I look at it is, you don't have to build a new video channel. You know, it already exists, already did that. So why should you go the hard route? It's already yeah. there. Now you can start from where I stopped. Mm. Or like, I'm not gonna withhold information to you on how you can be successful. I want to share that with you because mm -hmm. the more people who are successful around me, it's like that, I think there's a word, Ubuntu. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah. good for my, my brother type philosophy is good for me yeah. type deal. So that's what I really subscribe to is I don't need to use you as like a step in a ladder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ubuntu, that, that deep understanding that we become ourselves with and through another person. Mm. That the only way to really yes. flourish as a human being and to come into what it means to be human is with and through another person, mm. is in community. Yeah, and right? if, you, if you wanna go uh, fast, go alone. Yeah. If you wanna go far, go together. Yeah. And so I've probably given up some like personal growth and accomplishments in my life that mm. I could have maybe got faster right if i Come if on. i pursued it just for myself but what now there's a platform where anytime i want to write something or produce something reaches a lot more people than 
if I were to go to submit to these other places mm-hmm. where it seems to be, you know, I, it's really funny, especially in poetry. It's like you'll see people submit to a journal, okay? And the whole point of these journals <laughs> is to bring in multiple eyes to read all the works. But the journals themselves don't really reach that many people. What they do is they construct a bunch of poems together, right? And then what the journalists think is, if you're in the journal, I'm in the journal, they're going to read your work, then read my work. Well, what happens is these artists, they take like a screenshot of where they're published, they post it on their IG. <laughs> and they throw the journal away. <laughs> and, and, and all their friends are already seeing their work, but they yeah. don't go and, and see anyone else's work, so they fail to meet their purpose. So that's yeah. that's been kind of, so like for me, you know, when you create anything, a business, uh, a community, when you are a part of that, it's important to realize it's not singular, but it's also like important to, uh, stay in the practice of humility. It's it's important to constantly evaluate and check your ego yeah. because ego will destroy everything you have ever built, you mm-hmm. know, if you let it. And Absolutely. and it's it's important to always center the vision and the purpose. So like you and I might have a tiff and I could use that to derail everything. That's right. But instead of putting the energy into that, I'd rather put the energy into the vision and redirect myself on the path mm. to continue to build and, and expand this platform that, you know, star dive bar in Bryan, Texas, <laughs> two poets, popcorn, ran back and forth, yeah. six people total if you count the bar staff. So that's yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like the idea. And I think what, what continues to motivate me like in this space is like, what's next? I know you don't like virtual, but I love the idea of virtual. Like, for example, just say going to church, right? What are all the barriers to coming to church? Transportation, location, yeah. time, yeah. Uh, being in physical space now with other people. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some monetary component sometimes. Like maybe I don't feel like I can give to the offering. Maybe I don't feel like X, Y, Z. I'm just making stuff mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So these are barriers, right? Same thing with me. When I have a poetry show, what are my barriers? Parking, cover charge, rain, <laughs> especially in Houston. There's one drop of rain, nobody's there. You know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, other people. But when you're virtual, now everyone is next door to you. Yeah. And everyone has access to the yeah. space. So you actually appeal to a bigger audience. So for me, like the virtual space is really like, what I'm ja- I'm jazzed out up about the live show because it is amazing right now. Uh, yeah, you can just tell like the city is like we've been wanting this outlet, we've been yeah, waiting yeah, yeah, for this yeah. outlet, or I've heard about this so long, I've been no. wanting to go. Yeah, this this little dive bar movement, our first show. I said I want to know who came here from the furthest. Uh, when we were setting up, there's this girl, she came from uh, Tampa Bay, Florida. <laughs> I said, oh, do you have like family here in Houston? No. You're here for just this show? Yeah. What? Yeah. This was, I, when I started this art, my own friends wouldn't, didn't show up to my first night. Now I got someone flying from it. Tampa Bay. <laughs> I used to get made fun of for doing slam poetry smoking. Where I wouldn't tell anybody because they would roast me over that stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, you see it, Twenty One yeah, yeah. Jump Street, sure, Cynthia, sure. Cynthia. 
you know they like that's it's looked as like a you know for one is so it wasn't like a a cool or popular thing but Mm -hmm. i recognize the value and what you were talking about is listening to each other's stories Mm. hearing that feeling heard um and, Mm. and also receiving those narratives like you know storytelling is one of the oldest art forms that's right poetry is one of the oldest art forms there's a reason why they haven't gone anywhere because they're effective in their simplicity and then now like moving that into like the technological age yeah takes a lot of resources to produce a movie yep takes a lot of resources to produce a book poetry it's made for today yeah because you can write a poem in an hour and you can share it and it exists yeah. and you don't need nothing else. Yeah. So like it has a competitive advantage in today's age too, as far as creation of art, Yeah, you know, and like painting, you gotta buy a bunch of paints, right? You right. gotta buy right. a canvas, yeah. but yeah. you know, film, you, I don't even know. I only want to yeah. guess how much <laughs> this costs, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, poetry, you need a pen, paper, not yeah. even, not even either. this, this guy used to read poems. He didn't even write them down. Did he, do you know this? Yeah. Yeah. He was just like, free, he was just, <laughs> <laughs> he just free verse. And I, and I was like, let me see your poem oh, one man. day. He goes, what do you mean? Uh, I don't write it down. I said, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. How, um, how are we looking on time? Right? Yeah, we probably need to wrap it up. Okay. Um, can I ask you one more question? Yes, please. So, your dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and your mom. What do they think about all this? Um, so that's you know I think that's the a good question. The, that's, a really that's a really great question, man. They never really supported it because uh-huh. they felt like it was a distraction. Because yeah. like think about it, it's like dude. I'm going to get out of Iran and I'm going to get these eight degrees and like, dude, you're the last leg of the race. Yeah. Why are you dropping the baton? Right. <laughs> this is easy. I don't want to remember. I remember. Uh, so these, this is my parents. This is my parents. Uh, my dad, he said, uh, he, I said, dad, you know, I think I was an organic chemistry. Dad is so hard. So hard. He's like, school is hard for you. You speak the language. <laughs> <laughs> that, I love I love that's that's an immigrant dad right there, immigrant right? You know dad. that's the I walk that's to right. school twelve that's miles right. both ways in the snow. I used to have to rent computer time and library to write paper, you and know. I didn't know the language. Yeah. One thing one thing Amir always says when I'm like, hey Amir, let's do something crazy. He goes, My parents didn't come here for me to die doing that crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I remember one time I, I took a testing class and I beat the curve, right? And these are science classes, yeah. very difficult classes, very smart individuals in these classes. And my mom goes, How do you, how'd you do, Amir? I said, I beat the average, mom. She goes, ah, Amir, you always compare yourself to the worst. <laughs> you know? That's, and like, you know, if it's 95, did anyone make 100? You know? So, so they were very uh, adamant about that. And then when I... I think one thing that had to happen is they had to change their expectations and change may also be synonymous with lower. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think once I had a 401k, they were like, cause all your parents want is for you to be good and to yeah. not have to worry about you. Like, yeah, I think like right. as a kid, yeah, that's right. the biggest gift you can give your mom and dad. Like, I don't have to worry about him. He's good. Yeah. And so I think the two things that happened simultaneously with that were, I got a full-time job and I had a 401k uh-huh. and it looked like I had a steady career. So that, that was a worry lifted. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing was Kirsten. They're like, okay, okay. 
we like her. She's not letting him. <laughs> yeah, Deloitte. She's not. She's not. And, and Kirsten, she's like exceptional. You know, she she is really, really uh, been a blessing in my life. And she is like, she's got her. You know, you, you see her, you're like, that girl's got her act together. You yeah. know, she knows. So those two things happen to where they kind of stop worrying. And then like, it's really interesting. Like they always frowned upon my poetry, but like my dad, he has an auto glass shot. And so, like, I would get people messing me, be like, yo, Amir, your dad shared this poem with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? So your dad's on the down low. Yeah, yeah he's like of, on the DL. Yeah. Yeah. He can't tell me he approves, yeah. but he's telling other people. And oh, then, like, I think they saw what I started creating. Yeah. And I don't think they're, like, still 100% subscribed. Like, this is how I was raised. More math, more money. More math, more money. Like, yeah, that's yeah. what they told me. They said, go mathematics. You yeah. know more math, you make more money. Yeah. So I don't think they're, like, 100% subscribed to it. But I think they're, like, interested and they're rooting for me, you know. And they don't necessarily 100% understand it, but they're, like, He's in his thirties. He's got to, you know, he's <laughs> good. Go. He's got to figure it out. Right. And yeah. whatever our expectations are, they just don't work anymore. Yeah. So I do feel like they celebrate me, you know, but it's not like yeah, uh, yeah. they're not in the front row, uh, you know, or anything like that, but they definitely have put me in a, they put me in a position to be able to pursue this. So I feel like in yeah. a way this is an extension of their dream. And then the little brother, uh, he is a civil engineering degree and he just got his master's in applied economics. So I think that kind of, so he's the hope for the future. Yeah. So that, that gets their sweet tooth, uh, fix. So that, gets, so he, he can carry that, uh, he can carry that banner for the family. Yeah. They got one kid they can brag about. So it's good. That's great. That's great. Well, Amir, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you we so much for having really me on. Yeah. It. And yeah. come out sometime and, and let's work with Iconoclast sometime. Let's do come something on. together you know and love that and and partner and get the because i want to help the babies you yeah, know that's no, important yeah, i, yeah. I want to give them my i want to give people opportunities i didn't have and that includes mm, like kids you, you know yeah. so so yeah let's do we'll some stuff that. together yeah it'll be good what's we'll put um um ways to get to you and to your work in the show notes okay uh, today so that um so that folks can kind of see who you are and then also i know that there are live shows that are opening back up that they can find out about as every well every single wednesday avant-garde and doors open at 7 30 p.m we are okay. there right now yeah that's wonderful and if they're but if they're under 18 please parent guardian yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's best for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, got it. we got it. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, thanks again for, uh, for being here. Uh, well for pod have mercy. I'm Matt Russell. I'm Zach Blunt. I'm Amir Safi. Let's do that one more time. Say, uh, I'm Matt Russell. I'm Zach Blunt. I'm Amir Safi. And, and this is pod. Okay. Yeah. I'm Matt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Amir Safi. <laughs> And that was Zach, but, and this is Pod Have Mercy. Boom, it's a wrap. That is it. That's how we're always ending it. Did I, did I mess that up?